Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply This is a game day podcast from TalkSport Hello football frolickers welcome to the game day international pod special with me Sam Adface Darren Lewis the assistant editor at the Mirror and TalkSport's transfer guru Alex Crook Coming up, debut delight for deferential Dom, Captain Cody and the Southampton man with the goal scoring instinct as England make light work of Wales Footy ball clipped across, 1-0 England, and almost inevitably, it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin with a debut goal, brilliantly set up by Grealish. High right footy free kick, swung in, and he's put into the net for 2-0, and England double their advantage. Jack's the lad as Grealish's calves get more coverage from the commentators than his socks, Nick Pope's solid head, and how it won't be as easy as that against Belgium, who bring a squad of 33 to Wembley. Also this week, Ireland pay the penalty, but Scotland and Northern Ireland are just fine. And we have a review of the transfer window that, a bit like the hospitality industry, has sort of closed, not really-ish, depends on where you are, no one really knows. All on the podcast that is smiling as wide as a certain scouser, the game day podcast from TalkSport. This is Game Day. Um, right, should we start off with uh, England against Wales? Certainly generated quite a few headlines. It's Wembley and it's an important occasion because both England and Wales have got emerging talent. Ings scooping it cleverly, Calvert-Lewin making the run and he's got round Hennessy, the angle's really tight. It's cleared off the line but relatively comfortably. Right footed ball chipped inside the penalty area. Tyler Robbs tries to get in there and Moore snatches at the opportunity and drives it wide at Nick Pope's near post. Right footed ball clipped across, 1-0 England and almost inevitably... It's Dominic Calvert-Lewin with a debut goal, brilliantly set up by Grealish. Pulled back in from Michael Keane, touch and then fired over the bar. And it was a really good opportunity for Connor Cody. High right footed free kick, swung in and he's put into the net for 2-0. And England double their advantage. Wonderful ball swung into space. And it's Connor Cody that has got the goal. Loaded up towards the edge of the six-yard box. Mings up for it. And the overhead kick is a thing of beauty. It's a brilliant goal. I think it's Danny Ings that has got on the end of it. He's just headed down. And Ings on the edge of the six-yard box. It's Saka who's in on goal. Left-footed effort took a deflection. And the goalkeeper did well. Strong left hand to it to beat it away from the onrushing Danny Ings. England beating Wales by three goals to nil. Ah, 
about the back page of the Sun. This is what it means to play for England. Pays tribute to Connor Cody, whose delight at being called up was only surpassed by his first and then his second start in an England jersey. Um, then that was surpassed by his first goal, and that was surpassed with the lad ending up with the armband on his left bicep. He probably should have been the captain from the start, bearing in mind he was the only thing you could hear inside an empty Wembley Stadium for 90 minutes, although he did have to put a few 50p's in the swear jar. Uh, Opening thoughts, what do we think, Darren? Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's having the season of his life, he he started in the lower leagues, was sold for £1.5 million from Sheffield United to Everton, He's had a couple of modest seasons. Ancelotti's changed his game out of all recognition. And now you could argue he is, well, he's halfway, more than halfway towards last season's total. And he could get easily 20, 25 goals this season. And I think he could give Southgate a real problem, a real headache come next summer. Um, But Cody in particular, he is the archetypal example of hard work, beating in many cases talent when talent doesn't work hard. And just among all those people who are grafting their little socks off to get into the professional game, watching Cody get the fruits of his labour will have been a fantastic example to them. He's an infectious character as well. He's absolutely over the moon by what happened in that game on Thursday night. I know that for a fact. He's the first Wolves player to score uh, for England in 30 years. And for all the reasons uh, that Darren has mentioned, plus the fact that he just seems to love uh, playing for England, there's so much goodwill for him, Crook. Yeah, I think that Sun headline encapsulated it perfectly, actually. I was mentioning Adrian Durham last night in between critiquing your commentary uh, with him, Sam. And, and I said to him that the best thing about tonight, apart from Sam's commentary, um, was the, right. the sheer delight on the faces of all three goal scorers. And, and Darren's mentioned two of them there. But don't forget Danny Ings. It's not exactly been plain sailing for him. Not one, not two, but three serious knee injuries, which really mm. could tell his Liverpool career. And I know, speaking of people who were with Danny Ings at Liverpool, they thought he could be the real deal. And I know Jurgen Klopp rated him very highly as well. It was only injuries that scuppered that. He's had his rejections along the way. He was let go by Southampton as a teenager, ended up playing Sunday League football, and he's battled back. And I think we should mention the EFL because I think I'm right in saying that there were more EFL appearances amongst that England team than there were Premier League appearances last night. And I think that really is an example, especially in this uncertain economic climate, why it is so important that we protect our football pyramid. Yeah, uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin seemed to waltz into that team as well and play just as he had for Everton, concentrating on occupying defenders, winning header after header. He, he Airily, he's, fa- he's fantastic, isn't he? He's got a better jump than Greg Rutherford. And Darren's mentioned the role Ancelotti has played in that, but don't underestimate the role that Duncan Ferguson has yeah. played as well as strikers coach. I think he spent a lot of time with Dominic Calvert-Lewin on the training ground, especially working on that aerial prowess because he's always had the physique. He's not necessarily had the technique and even the confidence to back it up. I mean, one of the headers he scored a couple of weeks ago, he wouldn't have attempted a couple of years previously. Jack Grealish thrived in that game as well. Sometimes he can take too many touches on the ball, but actually... Uh, that helps win free kicks in, in, in areas up the field, doesn't it? And he's brilliant at that. He also m- makes things happen in the final third. He take charge of a situation. He was playing on the left-hand side of a three last night. All of a sudden decided that actually I could probably do something out on that right-hand side. Just mix it up a little bit. He wandered out there and created the first goal. 
I thought he was superb. I, I thought he ran the game from start to finish. And I think he's a throwback footballer in some ways. I'd imagine he's quite difficult to coach because he doesn't really go with convention. He's very much a free spirit. He's got his own mind, as you say. He pops up on the left, then he's on the right, then he's through the middle. But I think we've lacked that in this England team. Someone who is a little bit different, who, who does have that spark of creative genius. And I think he can certainly provide that. I mean, you can argue that his moment in the England spotlight has been too long in coming. But my word, was he determined to grab it with both hands? And the other sort of discussion point has been very much about the formation of the team and whether they play a three or a four at the back. It looks as if he's going to start go veering back to three at the back. And in the first half, it wasn't three at the back at all. The first 25 minutes, it was five at the back and they were all pretty much in a line on the edge of their own penalty area. It was only in the second half, really, that, that Saka and Kieran Trippier decided that obviously after instruction to move further higher up the pitch and that had a massive impact and that sort of tactical discipline is going to be important if that is the system that they're going to develop because there was a a point in the first half where uh, poor old Dominic Calvert-Lewin was incredibly isolated and, and, and Harry Winks whose job it was to try and connect the play I mean it was it was no chance of connecting the dots when it was such a long way between him and uh, his target man um, I think that Bukayo Saka and I mentioned him just a moment ago in terms of his tactical discipline. I saw he started with a little bit nervy, didn't he, in the first few moments? He's only 19 and, and he only made his England under 21 debut about a month ago. But he grew into the game, didn't he? And I think as the game went on, he sort of saw flashes of his talent and his undoubted talent. Absolutely, but there's a fair amount of pressure on, on Bukayo Saka because he's pretty much the, the last left-sided fullback standing, isn't he? I mean, we're, and we're he's so probably blessed. Not off. really a left fullback, is he? I well, mean, ultimately, he's going to have to start playing there because there's nobody else. Well, we're so blessed on the right-hand side, but it's such a dearth on the opposite flank. It's a, it's a very bizarre situation, and I'm sure that's why Gareth Southgate is chopping and changing and experimenting with formations because at the moment. He doesn't know who to play on that left-hand side. But I think you're right. I think I think the first half an hour was was poor, in all honesty, that players didn't really know exactly what their jobs were. But once they warmed to the task, they grew into the game, and so did Saka. I thought he had a really good second half. Um, let's hear from Gareth Southgate then after uh, the performance on Thursday night, because I'm sure that after what had been quite a difficult six weeks or so, he was pleased to get a victory on the board and to see some of those fringe players perform well. Well, I was pleased for the players because it's very difficult with such an inexperienced team um, to go out and be cohesive and to work out all the problems that the way that Wales pressed and the way they started the game was, was difficult and you've got players who are having their first touches in an England shirt and have, have only met each other some of them three days ago so I'm, I'm really pleased for them that they've got their the win and that they got stronger as the game went on and um, some very good individual performances which is pleasing for us and gives us some food for thought and um, yeah, for, for the boys especially to win the game and hopefully supporters at home to have enjoyed that, um, that's, that's what makes it worthwhile. I think he makes a really good point actually and the point is that if you actually did make a mistake and find yourself out of the squad, you would have watched last night's match and then you start thinking to yourself, hang on there a second, there are some players here that, that really can not only play for England but really want to play and are prepared to sort of make that Happen. He is very particular about the sort of characters that he wants in the team. There's one or two players, let's be totally clear about it, who may well be on ability better than some of those who have been selected in recent squads, but haven't made it into the selection because he is unsure about their character. To summarise, I suppose last night was a bit of a warning to them. 
Ryan Giggs was desperately disappointed with the goal that they conceded in the first half. And I can understand because up until that point, they were very much in the game, Crook. I think in some ways, Wales are almost a microcosm for, for the rest of the home nations. I know we're going to talk about Scotland and the two islands later, but Kiefer Moore is a real doubt for their next match. And, it, and it's a problem because he's become so integral to the way that Ryan Giggs sets the team up. Now, with the greatest respect in the world, Kiefer Moore is no Mark Hughes, Craig Bellamy, Dean Saunders. You look at some of the great strikers that Wales have had in the past. And, it, and it's a problem, as I say, for the rest of the home nations, England apart as well. There's a real dearth at the moment of, of strikers. Of, of, of number nines and um, I'm, I'm not really too sure how they solve that to be honest and I think if you if you look around Europe and you look at the kids coming through the academy there's not that many out and out number nines that are being developed and moved into first teams look at Liam Delap at Manchester City the fact that he's made it into the first team squad shows there's not that many of his profile in and around European football otherwise they probably would have gone out and bought one yeah, hold that please level five thank you Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Thursday night was also a big night in the race to reach the European Championships. The delayed playoff paths began with a one-off semi-final. Um, Ireland eliminated by Slovakia on penalties. They had a couple of chances towards the end of that game, but maybe didn't do enough uh, to get over the line. Scotland won on penalties. Northern Ireland won on penalties as well. First of all, let's talk about Scotland, who had an irritating situation of one po- positive COVID test for Stuart Armstrong that took out three players. Um, but they managed to fight their way uh, past Israel despite having to change their team basically on the eve of the match. It was on penalties. Brilliant save from David Marshall in the in the shootout. Scotland have never been involved in a penalty shootout before. I think that was the most surprising thing I'd ever heard. Um, yeah, I think it was the same for Northern Ireland as well, actually. So maybe England are just unlucky in terms of every time we reach a major tournament, we seem to end up in, in a penalty situation. But maybe that's also a reflection on the fact that Scotland haven't been at a major tournament since 1998. And despite the fact that they stumbled across the finishing line on penalties, I'm still not convinced they're going to take their place at this one. One shot on target against an Israel side ranked 93rd in the world doesn't exactly fill Scottish supporters 
with too much confidence, does it? I've got to tell you, I, I was obviously at Wembley and the way we did the highlight show last night was is that Ali McCoyst, who was part of, of, of our broadcast team watching the Scotland game, watched it in the stand at Wembley. So he, behind behind the, the goal, we, we set up a sort of green room and he was sitting there waiting to go on and do his piece, obviously, for the highlights. And he watched it downstairs. So I came down from the gantry. I walked through the, the, the empty stand and there he was, a couple of biscuits and a, and a cup of tea. And he was watching it, he was getting nervy towards the end of extra time. And he, he turned around and he went to me, by the way, it's a good job this is only highlights because there's been one shot on target from both of these two teams. It's been absolutely abysmal. <laughs> and this is the most infectious character you're probably likely to meet, by the way. And he was like, oh my word, this is terrible. <laughs> if they do make it to Euro 2020, nobody will remember how they played. No. But nobody will care. They'll just be looking forward to that big game at Wembley with England. Do you know, I've got a feeling that Scotland could do it, you know. I really do. Well, I, I certainly hope so, because I think it will set up the, a, a fantastic, fantastic group game between England and Scotland. So that'll be, that will be cracking. Um, just to row back on that uh, COVID verdict, if, which has sort of ruled out Kieran Tierney. Uh, and I read Manchester United are doing this as well. Arsenal with Tierney, Manchester United with Cavani. Clubs appealing over COVID quarantine periods for their players to get them available for, for key games. Does this sort of sit right with you? Because I just think it sort of comes across that football thinks it's more important than any other job. I'm sure there's a plumber who's been tracked and traced and doesn't really want to quarantine because he's got a lucrative bathroom to refit. But, but the rules are the rules, aren't they? I have a bit of sympathy with, with Manchester United and, and Edward because obviously Cavani was tied into a, a contract with the club so they had to leave it until the last hours of the transfer window to get him signed and therefore they had no choice but for him to quarantine. Oh no, wait, they could have just signed him two weeks earlier and he would have been able to play. <laughs> well, we like a little bit of sarcasm on this show. <laughs> can, I just, can I just add to that? Because yeah, on a slightly more serious note, Football doesn't want to accept what's staring it in the face. You know, football is stamping its feet over the let fans in campaign. And and I, I get it. I understand. You know, you know, our jobs depend on fans back, you know, getting value for their financial investment in the game. Yeah. But let's look at facts. The virus numbers are up. Hospitalization numbers are up. Deaths are up. We are in a grave situation in this country because people want it both ways. They want to be protected, but they want to go about their daily lives the way they want to. Um, and football wants it both ways too. I can't go along with this nonsense that you're safer in grounds in a, uh, than in your living room uh, because that's what lockdown means. Stay in an area that's safe for you. And a lot of these places, when they talk about measures, what they mean is there's a bit of hand sanitizer and a mask for you. And that's it. And I, I think we have a problem because if you look up and down the country in football at the moment, there are a litany of players testing positive for the virus and clubs are treating it like a knock and it's worrying, very worrying. Um, I think EFL clubs in particular and certainly Premier League clubs would argue that actually their measures are a lot more comprehensive than just a bit of hand sanitizer and, and a bit of spray to wipe down a seat what else after you've they? sat in what it. Else are they well, what there's else? a lot of social what distancing else? that goes on. I mean, I did a commentary last night where we had a massive table which was 
I mean, we were standing miles apart from 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 one another. Everybody Sam, was to get was, there though. To get there, the tubes, the trains, the buses, the crowds. Well, it depends. I mean, on I, the way I, there, the people that I've, I work for in, encourage every member of staff to drive to the ground. So, but yeah, obviously there's transport issues, and and and, and you're absolutely right to to focus on that because it's okay for us to drive to grounds at the moment where there's no fans and therefore there's only 400 people attending an event. But if there's you know three, four thousand, even if it's you know five thousand people, then public transport certainly will come into play and that then does become very difficult and I haven't heard a comprehensive plan for that yet but but the issue here is probably a wider societal one as you've mentioned already and the fact is the government haven't really developed a coherent plan to to live with the virus or eradicate it and and you've got to have a situation where people are going to buy into a longer term plan. It's just at the moment a series of temporary measures that are short term fixes, hoping uh, upon hope that there's going to be a vaccine in at some point in the future. But every time we get to that point in the future, it's going to be another three months or another six months. So ultimately, until you've you've sort of got a, a comprehensive long term plan of how to live with the virus from central government, is actually nothing's going to change, is it? I think it's the constant contradictions. I mean, did you see the video of the uh, the Northern Ireland fans who were kicked out of a pub last night at 10 o'clock? Clearly, the penalty shootout was still going on. They literally crowded, not socially distant, outside the pub and peered in through the window. That can't be right. And, and also, Royal Albert Hall are going to be allowed 57% capacity in December. I do think football fans will feel they're being treated as second-class citizens and that the government don't trust them. Follow the guidelines. Northern Ireland played well against Bosnia. <laughs> and they deserved it. It was a game that was live on TalkSport 2. Uh, Ian Danta texted me last night, said they, uh, they they played very well. And I think we should probably uh, credit Ian Barraclough, who de- he deserves a, a big round of applause for making two subs at the end of extra time. The first time Northern Ireland have ever played extra time. Um, just to take penalties. Boyce and Washington, who both... We both scored. Sorry about the clunky gear change there, uh, but we got into a debate that I don't think that we were planning to get into. Uh, <laughs> I didn't have a smooth way of, of getting out of it. So in the end, I just thought, let's just continue. Um, <laughs> Slovakia next in Belfast. I, I do hope that they can negotiate that because I think the idea of having a tournament with more home nation, we've got Wales and England obviously there already, but having at least a third, if not a fourth, w- would make it an even bigger event. It's a shame we've been denied Northern Ireland against the Republic of Ireland. I think that would have been yeah. a, a tremendous occasion and, and obviously guaranteeing one of those would go through to the tournament. But I, I quietly fancy Northern Ireland. I think what we saw under Michael O'Neill's management and clearly it's been continued by Barrow Clough is there's a, a tremendous team spirit, a tremendous character uh, about this squad epitomised by Stephen Davis um, who was compared I think by Mauricio Pochettino uh, to Iniesta in the build-up to this game and obviously uh, became Northern Ireland's record appearance holder. Johnny Evans leads by example from the back and uh, they've got a new hero, haven't they, in Bailey Peacock-Farrell who made a massive save in the 90 minutes and then obviously pulled off a good save in the shootout as well. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be positive going into this I wouldn't get too uh, excited, bearing in mind about six weeks, uh, four weeks ago, they got absolutely smashed off the park uh, by Norway. Uh, in uh, what was that record uh, equaling game for Stephen Davis? So, so uh, it, it, the, I'll temper that enthusiasm till next month when I do hope that they get past Slovakia because, but then being at the European Championships would certainly be uh, a fantastic event. Hopefully, with fans, though. I mean, again, it goes back to the well, point it's in we Belfast, saw the difference. Isn't it? Slovakia yeah. against uh, against uh, Northern Ireland will be in Belfast, and if you can get fans in for that one, it makes a massive difference. 
No, but I mean for the championships as well, because when obviously they qualified for the, the last major tournament, the, the Northern Ireland supporters were, yeah. were, were stars of the show. Well, that's a good point, actually, isn't it? And not to go, go back to the previous debate that we were having, but the European Championships itself, I mean, the idea of uh, playing it in 12 different countries seems to me like you're living in a, in a dreamland. I mean, there's it's the, the worst possible timing, absolutely isn't it? no chance that's going to happen. I mean, if this tournament isn't in Germany, I'll be amazed. Hazard to win it and seal it for Belgium. The captain comes up trumps for the Red Devils. He was in behind him, picked up the loose pass and slotted it calmly beyond Pickford for Belgium 2, England 0. And he drops the shoulder, right for the ball, clipped across, 1-0 England. And almost inevitably, it's Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I thought his all-round game was excellent. Physically, he's so strong. And uh, to cap it with a goal, of course, for centre-forwards is, is the thing that makes them go home happiest. High right footed free kick, swung in, and he's put into the net for 2-0. And England double their advantage. Here's the press, and it's worked this time. Sterling is in, edge of the six-yard box, pulls it back. And Harry Kane side puts it in. England-Belgium is on Sunday in the Nations League. Belgium, who I think, like England, will make 11 changes for that game. I mean, how important is the Nations League to Gareth Southgate-Crook? Because it was a tournament that many thought would become sort of a bit of an irrelevance and maybe a, just a glamorous, friendly dressed up as something else. But actually, England did so well in it last time. It gave them an opportunity to get very close to winning a trophy. And, and it does pitch them against better teams, which tests the players ahead of a major tournament. Sometimes we moan, we get to a major tournament, we've only played America and Switzerland and Colombia in friendlies. And when it comes to playing a big team, England falter. But the, the Nations League affords them the opportunity to get some practice in, in that regard. A little bit sorry for this competition because when it was first devised, I think we were all very sceptical and actually the, the inaugural running of it was a real success. Um, it, as you say, it pitted teams against nations who were on a similar level to them. It meant the likes of uh, Gibraltar were able to start actually winning games of international football. And, and the, Faroe no Islands, walkovers. don't forget the Faroe Islands. So, so I think in, in that respect it worked, but I think... Again, without being too political, because of what is happening around the globe, because there's no supporters in stadiums, I think they have become glorified friendlies, which is obviously what FIFA and UEFA wanted to avoid. I think they have become irrelevant. Having said that, I'm looking forward to England-Belgium because this will be a genuine test of exactly where we are. Because if you look at Gareth Southgate as England manager, quite often he's come up short in the big games against the top nations. So this is going to be a fascinating contest. Uh, will it, Belgium keep England out? Because um, that defence will be well known to Harry Kane, who's got 32 goals in 47 caps. Vertonghen, uh, Alderweireld, Denier, Alex? I guess you have to judge it on the base of what we've seen so far. Um, and obviously you commentated at the Iceland game and the Denmark game. They didn't exactly create chances for fun I, I against those two nations. Those, those games off in terms of, from what I hear in terms of what the build-up was like and how many players had training sessions up until that point and how many had just walked in off the beach. I mean, I don't think it was any surprise to go to Southgate that they were playing at a tempo which can only be described as tepid. But do you think the performance level between those two games and what we saw against Wales last night has gone up significantly enough to suggest that England can cause this Belgium side problems. I'm not convinced. I think the, the manner of the victory last night was, a much, was as much about how poor Wales were without their headliners as about what England did. I don't know. I think there's more competition in the England team now and I think that there's certainly a desire to impress amongst the, the senior players in the team who will come back into it. I think they'll struggle against Belgium because Belgium are the best team in the world but I think it will be a more competitive 
and more high-tempo performance from England. And they do have other options, of course, off the bench, which I think they maybe you, you sort of scratch your head last time around and think, oh, I'm not necessarily sure that bringing on a, a 19-year-old to change the game against Iceland is going to have the desired effect. Now they've got someone in Jack Grealish who they can turn to when England need to try and engender a little bit more sort of spark and spunk into the team. But will he turn to him? This is where Gareth Southgate might have to be bold with the changes that he makes off the bench and he hasn't always done that. Well, that is, a, that is a, going to be a key assessment, I think, and it's something that is incumbent on him to do. Otherwise, England will find themselves in trouble because if you if you aren't tactically spot on and you're not, um, you're not ambitious against a team like uh, Belgium, then you will lose. Right at the top of this section, Sam, you, you mentioned you expected both sides to make 11 changes. But here's a question. How many of the England team last night do you think can justifiably put their hand up to Gareth Southgate and say, oh, I should be playing this game? Who would you expect to keep their places? Surely Grealish has got a pretty good argument for yep. that. Yeah, Grealish, I would think. And I also think that um, uh, Cody obviously should, should probably get a start in the team. Um, I thought Calvin Phillips did really well, actually, in Me the too. game. I thought he was excellent. Mm. And... Um, yeah, persisting with him wouldn't be a bad option I think the, the key issue is is that if you're, if you're going to play three central defenders which England I think are going to do now you can't play two defensive midfielders in front of that you can't play three defenders and then another two then you can only play that one pivot which will probably be Declan Rice and then you either got to play well, someone that, alongside him who connects and gets up the pitch to help out whoever is the lone forward yeah. probably Kane in this this case or you you have to change the system. So um, I don't think. I mean, we we were in Denmark and they played with the back three and then Phillips and Rice, and it was it was just they were all getting in each other's way, and it, there was nowhere really for anybody to go. So I don't think they can do that again, especially against a side who will press a little bit better than the way uh, that the Wales did in their match. But listen, the game's live on Talksport on Sunday. It's going to be a fascinating event. It's five o'clock on a Sunday afternoon as well, so I'm sure the uh, uh, the audience will be big for that. It is transfer deadline day here on TalkSport. Everton have signed Norwich's England under-21 defender Ben Godfrey. He's penned a five-year contract with the early Premier League leaders in a deal worth £20 million. And it's now just been confirmed that Manchester United have completed the signing of Alex Telles. Wouldn't be deadline day, would it, without a late rush in the final hours of the window. Chris Smalling to Roma. It's our understanding that is now a done deal minutes before the window closed in Italy. Closer to home, La Liga have confirmed that Arsenal have met Thomas Partey's £45 million release clause. That's news to Atletico Madrid. I don't think they're particularly happy with the way that Arsenal have gone about this one. Another late deal, half an hour before the transfer window slams shut. Theo Walcott has returned to Southampton 14 years after he left. He's joined on a season-long loan from Everton. White smoke coming out of Old Trafford as well. I understand that Edinson Cavani has completed his move to Manchester United. Double signing for Fulham. Um, they've signed Joachim Anderson on loan from Lyon. He's a Danish central defender. And they've signed Ruben Loftus-Cheek on a season's loan okay. from Chelsea as well. Well, it's been one of the stories of deadline day. Everton's search for a new goalkeeper. Their search has led them to to Robin Olsen, a Swedish international on loan from Roma. That deal has just been completed on a season-long loan. Right, quickly, let's have a look at the transfer window. Uh, Monday saw Crook working a 16-hour day. Oh, 
didums. I felt really sorry for him. He, I think he probably watched you just sit in the studio ranting about Manchester United's transfer policy for most of that 16 hours. <laughs> no, I left that at the door on Sunday, to be honest, and was trying to be as positive as I could about the panic oh, signing did you get, that was did you get told Edinson off? Cavani. No, I didn't get told off. Are you sure? No, well, why would I get told I just, off? Just wondered, just wondered whether or not you, would, you had a go out for being too negative. So you've got a tendency to be quite negative. I know Andy Cole has, has pulled you over the coals. Mr. Cole to you pulled you over the coals. Uh, he did his best. It didn't quite work out. No, it was a fascinating day. I mean, the, the, the Arsenal move for Thomas Partey uh, was a complete curveball late in the day, but clearly something that Mikel Arteta always had up his sleeve. And I think if you look at the, the winners and losers of the transfer window, apart from the fact that there's still Lumber with Mesut Ozil, who presumably isn't going to make their Premier League squad, I thought it was a great window for Arsenal. Yeah, but I after sacking Ast- that guy who was in the dinosaur costume, at least he can do that. <laughs> that wasn't great PR, was it? To come out on the day they signed a player for £45 million. I think Aston Villa deserve a lot of credit. I think their squad is a lot stronger than it was going into the window. Everton signings have, have hit the ground running probably even more quickly than Carlo Ancelotti could have expected. I still think Manchester City's business left a little bit to be desired. I still think they've got a problem at left-back. Mendy just isn't good enough and they still need a backup option to Aguero. Manchester United have got lots of holes in their squad. Fulham with thrashing around. And I mean, I'm intrigued by the signing of Ruben Loftus-Cheek and I mean, his wages that obviously became a dominating factor in the final days of the deadline. Incredible. And, and really just sums up a lot of, of what is wrong with modern football, how he has managed to manoeuvre that kind of pay packet and therefore price him out of a lot of moves is incredible. I just hope for Fulham he will repay that. I'm not convinced. I thought in terms of winners and losers, uh, Aston Villa win the transfer uh, window for me because they, they've signed forwards that score goals better fullbacks, dynamic additions to midfield and a proper goalkeeper and in terms of where they were and where they're going to go to I think their, their improvement will be the most significant um, Everton also did well I think in, in terms of bringing in players that serve their best assets in James Rodriguez who's a fantastic transfer coup um, and has already hit, hit the ground running Chelsea has spent a lot of money but I don't think that they will see a significant improvement from where they were last season to where they'll finish up at the end of the season. So they'll end up spending 250 million quid or whatever it is, but actually they might not even go up a place in the table and could even end up regressing. And that would be a real problem for Frank Lampard. The issue for me is in the midfield. They, they wanted Declan Rice, but, but, but West Ham wanted Ballon d'Or money for him. They've got too many players, and you've already highlighted the issue here, who they play so, pay so well that won't move don't want to move or are priced out of a move by other clubs because they just can't take on that financial burden. As a result, they were trying to shift on Jorginho or Kovacic or someone in that midfield to get them out because they themselves wanted to activate Thomas Partey's £45 million release clause. And they would have done that last week if they'd had an opportunity to get Jorginho or Kovacic out of the building because they couldn't do that they couldn't get the person in that they needed to stiffen up the midfield alongside Conte. And as a result of that, uh, it's not going to be as a balanced 11 as maybe Frank Lampard was hoping for. Darren? I think they'll challenge for the title. I think that they are much more secure defensively. The worry 
before me at right now is that the goalkeeper is injured, uh, Mendy, uh, on international duty. Well, he that's could great be out news, for a couple it? of weeks. Well, indeed, that is a big, big worry because Kepa, to be fair, did play for Spain the other night, did okay, d- d- kept it clean sheet. Don't stop. I know, it. I know, I know, I know, I know. Listen, I'm going to go in goal. <laughs> if you look elsewhere in the team, they've still got that quality up front. I think that going back to basics and maybe sticking with the players who got them into the top four last season and integrating the other players into the side, the new players, is probably a better way to go for Lampard than throwing all, them all in. But I still do think they'll challenge for the title. I think it'll be a tight title race, given that Liverpool have shown that they're not quite where they were last season just yet. I think they'll get there, um, but they're not at the moment. City are the ones who worry me because I'm not convinced by the City defence. But I certainly think the London clubs will be back this season, all three of them. And I think it'll be a very, very interesting title race. You joked about it, Sam, at the top of the programme about the fact that windows shut in some places and, and not in others. It means that there are, is still work being done behind the scenes and a couple of deals that we, we should look out for between now and next Friday. Joe Roden, of course, uh, Tottenham came in for him late on deadline day. My understanding is those negotiations have ramped up as we speak and Tottenham increasingly confident of fending off late interest from West Ham to get him to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. And Joshua King, who's waited all summer for his move, Bournemouth uh, at at the time of talking, we've only had one firm offer. That was from Torino, well below their valuation. But there have been extensive talks taking place behind the scenes between Joshua King's agent and West Ham United. I think Everton might also be monitoring that situation. So it's going to be really intriguing to see where he ends up between well, now and Can I just Friday. say very quickly, if West Ham do get Josh King, um, then I think, and I know West Ham fans might not agree with this, but I think they might be among the winners in the window, you know, because Burnley wanted silly money for James Tarkov and West Ham eventually pulled out and they've dodged a bullet. Two clean sheets in their last four games, big wins in each game. They look far more disciplined. Kufal at right back is a bargain at £5.4 million. Yeah. They'd already tied up Suchek on a longer term deal as well. If they do get Josh King to give them some depth in attack as well, they've done well. Well, that's because they gave their recruitment uh, to David Moyes to do rather than, you know, doing it off a laptop or a, a director of football who wasn't really connected with the game. <laughs> it's true though. It is. And David T- Sullivan has admitted that um, and it makes sense they're building an actual team rather than just a collection of good players who who, who have got fantastic highlights reels on YouTube um, the Chelsea situation worries me in terms of the top end and you mentioned about them playing the, the players that got them into the top four because I think that by playing Tammy Abraham as a striker they negate some of the abilities that Timo Werner has got by playing Agreed. him out wider he didn't work against Crystal Palace. They won 4-0 against Crystal Palace, but it didn't work. That connection did not work. And if there's going to be someone who is going to play as a number nine because they need to to get the best out of them, it's going to be Werner who's facilitated. And that isn't great for Tammy Abraham. Have you ruined another striker? Has Chelsea ruined another striker? Is that quite, what you're quite, saying? Quite, quite, is is quite he the new Shevchenko or the yes. new Chris Sutton? Chris Sutton, Pierre-Luigi Casaragi, Matija Kesman, Adrian Mutu, um, If you're winning Fleck, games 4-0, uh, if you're winning games... <laughs> everyone. Anyone who's a striker, Paul Furlong, anyone who Torres. signs for us. Torres. Everyone. Oh, Torres, Torres scored a, a goal in the... Uh, uh, in the Champions League semi-final against Barcelona he, he can do no wrong but the, the rest of them we've ruined them 
Well, there was me worrying a little bit that we wouldn't have uh, enough to fill uh, the time. But Darren Lewis from The Mirror and Alex Crook, thank you very much for your contribution. Uh, we will have uh, a couple of episodes for you on Monday. One looking back at the Belgium game and looking forward to England's game with Denmark on Wednesday night. But also we're going to post the Darren Bent upfront special later on in the day on Monday. Uh, so we'll see you over the weekend. Be safe, whatever you're doing. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertzen the Biparcel Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertzen the Channelized Bimbingus at the Biparcel Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.